episode 44. You're listening to Vox Talk, the voiceover industry's number one podcast, brought to you by Voices.com. It's about voice acting, growing your business, and sharing your knowledge. Vox Talk is a show that you can be a part of. Getting involved is both fun and rewarding. It's time for this week's episode of Vox Talk with your host, Stephanie Cicerelli. Hi there, I'm Stephanie and welcome to Vox Talk. This week I'm joined by Julie Williams with several keen reviewers of Pat Fraley's latest book, Billion Dollar Read, Adam Fox, and a message from Debbie Monroe about a fraudulent client. Before calling Scotland Yard, let's cover what's going on in your voiceover community. The Loop, informing you of news and current voiceover events. In voiceover news, living legend June Foray turned 90 years old on September 18, 2007. Foray holds numerous vocal credits, including Looney Tunes character Granny, Rocky from Rocky and Bullwinkle, and scores of others. There's a party for June on the evening of October 19th in Burbank. To get your ticket, you either need to be a member of Asifa Hollywood or the guest of a member. To learn more, go to cartoonbrew.com or read the article on the Vox Daily blog as linked from the Vox Talk show notes. Moving right along, Welland, Ontario, Canada-based voice talent Brandon Hunt recorded voiceovers for Disneypedia Jungle Mania, the bonus disc that comes with a platinum DVD edition of Disney's cherished animated film, The Jungle Book. The 14-minute piece teaches children all about jungle animals using examples from the film. To get a copy for yourself, Google Disney's The Jungle Book Platinum Edition. In closing, I was reading the boards recently at the VOBB and James Alberger revealed that the date of Voice 2008 has been moved from May 2007 to the middle of the summer. If you've been planning to go to the conference, sit tight before you book that plane ticket. Vox Talk will cover the official date and location from Voice as soon as the news breaks. To learn more about the VoiceOver International Creative Experience, go to voice-international.com or check out the coverage from Voice 2007 on the Vox Daily blog filed under conferences. The Biz, helping you grow your voiceover business. Today in The Biz, Julie Williams joins us with fellow voice actors in a review of Pat Braley's book, Billion Dollar Read, How to Make Money Reading and Recording Books. In a time when recording audiobooks is one of the fastest growing genres in voiceover, how does a seasoned voiceover talent break into voicing audiobooks? In this day and age, we could research on the internet and approach people by trial and error and eventually get it right. But as Pat Fraley says, experience isn't the best teacher, it's the slowest. In his new home study course, The Billion Dollar Read, How to Make Money Reading and Recording Audiobooks, Pat Fraley, his associate, Audi nominee Hillary Huber, and a few other experts in the field go through the whole process from start to finish. Voice talent Bob and Beam says they not only talk about how to get into audiobooks, but give tips on delivery as well. One of the most important points to remember, they say, when reading an audiobook is not to react to what you read. Let the listener do that. Infuse your voice into the character and allow the narrator to be a character as well. Other topics they address include workbook exercises, reading aloud skills, tempo, volume, energy, diction, mouth works, pitch and throat placement, preparation and research, resources, 
and how to submit yourself to an audiobook publisher, including how to structure your audiobook demo, because it's a bit different than your other demos. Your demo is comprised of four separate audio tracks. The first is quite simple. It's your name followed by the word reader. It should be done by someone of the opposite sex, like this. Pat Fraley, reader. Hilary Huber, reader. The next tracks are comprised of three excerpts from books that show your abilities at performing. Each should be no less than 30 seconds and no longer than one minute. Now, what selections you choose for the demo are based on your abilities, and Pat and Hillary go into some detail about that. Voice talent Joe J. Thomas, also known as Joe Actor, says Pat Fraley's Billion Dollar Read was informative and inspiring. I personally have yet to record an audiobook. I've politely shied away from this unknown territory due to a general lack of knowledge on exactly how to approach this medium. I'm starting to see the light, and I'm seriously considering audiobooks as another venue for my voice. If you're thinking you can't do audiobooks, maybe you tell yourself, my southern accent is too strong, or my voice is too quirky sounding for an audiobook. Bob and Beam says, Pat and Hillary disagree. The encouraging thing Fraley and Huber tell us, because there are so many market genres, mystery, history, suspense, motivational, fiction, humor, drama, classics, business management, etc., there is the right book for you. Perhaps one of the most valuable things I got out of Pat Fraley's Billion Dollar Read is their unique tried-and-true way of approaching audio publishers by offering them something of value rather than just asking them to hire you as an audiobook reader. Pat Fraley's Billion Dollar Read includes two CDs of audio and a 50-page workbook. I also found the resources in the workbook particularly helpful. They have a sample submission letter to send with your demo. Pat tells us exactly what to say. Just do a little research, change the names. Most of the work is done for you. Pat Fraley's Billion Dollar Read is an incredible resource, even for voiceover talent with no experience, about how to break into audiobooks. But as valuable as it is... It's not going to cost you a billion dollars. In fact, it's on introductory special for a limited time for $69.95 at patfraley.com. Tech Talk, walking you through the technological landscape. Adam tells me this segment is long, funny, and has definitely received its due. Be sure to give him some feedback afterwards. You're listening to another Defiant Digital Podcast for Voices.com. Here's your host. Adam Fox. Join me today for a wondrous journey through a land of enchantment filled with characters who... Well, actually, today we're just going to talk about hard drive crashes. Hi, folks, and welcome to another edition of the podcast. Today we're going to talk about something that's a great survival skill, and that is knowing how and learning how to back up your data properly should something happen. Well, I'm speaking from experience on this one because I just recently had a hard drive crash a couple of weeks ago. And uh, something got corrupted in the boot sector of the of the C drive, and I pretty much lost my whole system and had to rebuild from the ground up. And that might sound like it's more of a computer tech question uh, or, or situation. However, I want to bring this in with a unique angle. A lot of us that are doing this home recording thing are keeping our stuff not backed up necessarily on external drives, uh, but are doing a lot of the work on the main system drive. Now, a lot of us that are at home and doing this work... Uh, while we're doing this work, it's uh, it's going to a main system drive because, you know, the nature of computer uh, recording software is that it works best when your scratch drive or your working drive uh, is is your main system drive. Uh, of course, you know, all of us are, are uh, backing our stuff up once it's all done onto external drives or to other 
drives within the system that aren't running the operating software, right? But what do you do when you have a hard drive crash? Well, I'll tell you. I woke up on a crispy uh, transitional fall morning and flipped on my system and... It gave me a, uh, a wonderful blue screen of death uh, when I started into Windows and said all kinds of things were wrong with my machine. And I said, oh heck, oh darn, oh my. Um, <laughs> for those of you out there who've ever had that experience, I'm sure you know exactly the situation at hand. Anyhow, uh, so I looked at this, uh, at this problem and, and I had a, a job that I needed to do that day, so I needed to make a decision very quickly. And that decision was, instead of reformatting and losing all of my information that I hadn't had a chance to copy over yet... Uh, I decided to grab my backup drive. Yes, backup drive. Now, I don't mean external backup drive, but I always keep an internal hard drive uh, on the shelf just in case I need to do something just like this. So I grabbed the backup drive, and I tore the machine open real quick and pulled the other drive out, slammed the other drive in, and started my system recovery process. So needless to say, in an hour and a half, two hours, I was back up and running uh, as far as the basics go, and uh, so it didn't put too much of a pinch in my production uh, schedule. However, I did uh, face a problem, and that was that I had a lot of information that was on this internal hard drive that was necessary for me, invoicing and things like that, that I hadn't had a chance to copy over. So here I am, I face a quandary. And the quandary is is that I had a lot of information on that C drive that I needed, and of course now I have a new C drive in the machine, and you know, it's not like a USB drive so that you can just plug it in. Sure, you can buy the uh, external cases that you can take your C drive, your internal IDE drive, EIDE or SATA drive, and actually plug them into... Uh, a case or an enclosure, and then they makes them uh, a USB drive. However, I didn't have one of those handy, and and uh, and I really didn't have the time to deal with that. So what I did was I took the cable from the system that was already in there and plugged it into this now non-bootable drive and basically mounted it as a D drive. Now this works in this wonderful age of jumperless drives because it automatically the computer will see that first drive that actually has an operating system on it depending on how you set your BIOS. So it saw the first drive, it started everything up just fine, and then all of a sudden now I have all this information that's that's there uh, that I may have lost. And the point I make today is it's always good to have a backup plan. We, uh, you know, think of these computers, these workhorses, when they never crash, they work really well, and, and they're our bread and butter. Well, but, you know, I also found myself, uh, I I got caught uh, with my hand in the cookie jar because I hadn't been as meticulous as I usually am with backing things up from my working drive once I'm done with them to my storage facility, which is a very important thing to do, let me tell you. So basically what I did was I just backed everything up that I needed to, and then once I had disconnected and reconnected the uh, current D drive uh, and and basically got rid of the uh, older one, Um, that was now non-functional and not a boot drive anymore. I just copied the information back over, and and, uh, it's a good lesson for me to to realize that I need to copy that stuff over uh, a little more regularly. And uh, once I get done with it, I just copy it right over to uh, my backup drive and put it in its uh, little folders that it has for organizational purposes. And why do I bring this up today? Well, because I think it's a good thing for all of us to think about. 
and uh, and hopefully all of you have backup systems out there. And if you don't, go run right out. They're very inexpensive to go get. You can get uh, an external drive of either a USB or FireWire or something that uh, will work with your machine and, and uh, depending on your needs will be large enough. Um, they're very inexpensive these days. You can go and spend, uh, oh, I don't know, 120 to 160 dollars and get something that'll back up everything that you need and it'll be uh, a wonderful safety precaution for you. And uh, let me tell you, it uh, it sure can eliminate a lot of that time. I mean, I was only down for a couple hours, but when I hooked everything else back up, guess what? Even a lot of that information that I was backing up and was able to retrieve off the drive, think about some of that information that's contained within. Email lists, that's a big one. That's something that you're not going to be able to, I mean, you can back them up. You can take your uh, address lists and you can um, you know, you, you can export those and back those up. I mean, all these pieces of information you can back up, but how often do we really think about that? And the answer to that question is we should be thinking about it all the time, but a lot of times we don't because we've come to rely on our machines. There are workhorses, as I said. So here we go. Email lists. Um, if you have any particular contact groups, uh, like say a business contact group that you have built, um, you know, your, uh, how about all your plugins and your settings on your digital recording uh, software. Every time you save something as a plug-in, um, you know, by the time you reinstall that software, guess what? If it's on a fresh drive, you don't have that. So how often do you really back up your plugins? Well, not not very often, actually. And of course, external third-party software and plugins. I have a whole host of VST plugins as um, as we've discussed and, and I've shared some of them with you in the past, you know, the vocorders and things like that. Um, you know, the VST plugins, luckily, they are contained within their own folder and when I point the software to that folder it automatically knows what's in that folder and it, and it loads them into the software that's that's uh, one of the great things about it and it does make it easier to back up that way however that is something that I do have to think about and make sure that I'm backing that up and of course the basics the invoicing uh, you know your other uh, pieces of finished work audio demos um, the photos, I mean, just all the other stuff that you're going to normally not even think about backing up. I mean, how many times do we really think about backing photos up if we're using them for desktops or, you know, slideshows and things like that? We just put them on there and then we figure, eh, they'll be there. Well, luckily you can retrieve that sort of information um, with a boot sector error or something like that. But what if the problem was more serious? So basically, I just wanted to get us thinking about that today, and hopefully this will spur um, a little creativity in you to find new ways to back your things up. And, and maybe if we just uh, use this as a reminder to back stuff up and, and uh, my machine had to take a hit and I can uh, pay the price for all of us, well, you know, I'm happy to do that. So there you go. Pretty technically-minded Tech Talk segment today. Um, but I did want to just take a moment to share that with you because uh, it's something that, you know, we don't think about maybe as often as, as we should be. Um, I used to be incredibly uh, regimented with my backing up uh, routines, and then somehow as things started to get busier, it just started to get a little less frequent and a little less frequent, and the next thing you know, being I got a problem. So you can always hit me at the website at adamfox.voices.com or hit me at the website at Defiant Digital at defiantdigital.com. Really looking forward to getting back into the swing of things with the uh, Tech Talk segments, and so we'll have another exciting topic next week. Hopefully it won't involve me losing a computer and having to rebuild it from the ground up. Um, but I did want to take a moment to congratulate David and Stephanie on the birth of their new child. Um, I know they're just feeling the warmth and the glow that the addition to a family uh, can bring, and uh, most congratulations and blessing to you guys, all right? You take care, folks. You have a wonderful, safe week, and uh, stay warm. It's starting to get cold out there. Fall is here. So until next time, bye for now.
Thank you, Adam. To keep the conversation going or even spin it in a different direction, send Adam your feedback and pod mail at adam at defiantdigital.com. Voxbox, sharing your audio feedback. We don't usually hear stories like these, and I'm glad that Debbie sent this to us. Let's join Deb Monroe now and listen to this very important topic of fraudulent clients. As much as I should be embarrassed to share this with you, today I'm going to talk about fraud. How do we avoid being uh, scammed by someone? Um, I've been very blessed in the last seven years that I've been going full-time in voiceover. I've only ever been ripped off once. I get a lot of questions like that. How do you avoid getting ripped off? Because it's a trust basis. Usually we voice first, the money follows after. No different than most freelance artist worlds, up to 90 days before you'll get your check, which makes it really hard. You don't know when those checks are coming all the time. But most of them are coming, and that's what you need to be assured of. If you're on sites like Voices.com or Voice123.com or anything to that effect, Opus Voice, things like that, there's a lot of trust factor here. However, those companies have really gone out of their way to research the clients that come to them. Now, if you're dealing with your own agents, well, obviously they've been researched and they're very trustworthy, and you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to be fine. When you're dealing with more freelance things that you don't know about, that's where we really have to put up some red flags. And you need to protect your business. All right, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. And it was just recently, too. I was contacted by a fellow from overseas. And there was probably enough red flags that I really should have paid better attention, but... You know, lessons learned, and you'll learn from me, hopefully, before it ever happens to you. But I do want to make you aware of this, because I feel this guy is going to be out for a lot of you, so be aware. There's a fellow by the name of Gregory Alfonso. Um, he hired me to do a job, said he got me through a very reputable site, and I just trusted in that, because the site he gave me was extremely reputable. He explained that he found me on that site. He wanted to hire me to do a message on hold. Now, the message on hold was very short. It was only two pages long. And he offered a budget of $1,500 to $2,000 US. Now, really, that's your first red flag right there. I knew it was too good to be true in a sense, but I assumed because of the source that he said he came from that it was going to be just fine and that it was just an extremely high-paid job. He then hired me right away to do another one. So there was two $2,000 jobs. Actually, $1,800 is what I compromised to. <laughs> nice compromise. Okay, so I voice both jobs. Uh, I send him an invoice. He sends it off to his clients. The clients send me a check. When I received the check, I did receive the check, which is fantastic. But when I received the check, it was for $7,500. And so I emailed Gregory back and I said, well, what's going on? I mean, now you're giving me a $7,500 check. I only earned $3,800. And he said to me, oh, no, you know, this must be an overpayment. I apologize so greatly. Um, you know what? I think what they've done is actually paid you for my services. So let me look into that. He emails me back, says, yes, indeed, they overpaid me by paying me for his services. Would I be willing to just forward the other $4,000 back to him? Well, red flag number two, right? I didn't know. Again, this came from a reputable source, according to him. So therefore, if you're getting someone that's finding you from another site and you're really not sure, maybe you should ask the source that they're claiming that they came from. Because if I would have asked my source, I'm sure I would have found out this was a scam right from the beginning. 
the ironic thing is I went and purchased a money order, a U.S. money order, which is what he wanted, but it had to be sent to the U.K. because supposedly this guy was in Israel and couldn't get to it, so his friend was picking up the check for him. Another red flag, I know. I put the money order together, and I have enough in my account that I got instant cash back, so I was able to get a $4,000 money order without waiting for that check to clear. That was my biggest mistake right there. The ironic thing is that when I told him I had the money order ready for him and I needed an address, he said, oh, money order is no good. It takes like 10 days to cash or something out here. It's, it's a ridiculous system. I know it's instant for you guys out there, but it takes a while. So, of course, I'm gullible and trusting in what he's saying, and I take the money order back and cancel it. Now, when I did cancel the money order, I said to my banking, actually banking friend at the time, that I was a little concerned. I've, I'm starting to feel a little bit of red flags with this fellow, and maybe I should wait for that check to clear. Is there a way I can find out if that check is cleared? And she said, you know what, with a U.S. check, it, takes, it can take up to 21 days. So now I went back to my client and said, you know what, I can't send it to you. My bank's asked to hold, uh, hold the funds right now until we can clear that check. He says, no problem. So I have no reason to think anything else except that he's legitimate. I call my bank, which is my local branch, which at this time I wasn't at my local branch, and I asked if the check is cleared. I waited two weeks. They said, yes, the check is cleared. Go ahead. So I went and sent, I went to go send him a Western Union money transfer, which is what he requested. Again, more red flags. And when I did, someone is looking out for me like you wouldn't believe. Um, for whatever reason, I can name you a million circumstances that happened, but I couldn't make the transfer online. It wouldn't accept things. It declined me. I phoned agents. I dealt with this for three days straight trying to send a money transfer. Now I know how to do it. But at the time, it was very stressful. It took up a lot of paid work that I was doing because it took so much time to get this through. So long story short, every time I tried to send the money, something happened and it wouldn't let me send it for whatever reason. So much so that even when I found a local agent here, I went there in person and when I got there, the computer system was down. What are the odds? Then he sends me to another uh, Western Union money order place and... They don't speak very good English, so we're having this total conflict of understanding what it is they require out of me to send the money. I've got all the cash in my hand. I'm ready to send it out. And basically, I ended up turned away. I didn't have what's called Code City, according to this fellow at the union office. So I went back home and emailed again my client and said, you know, this is what's going on. I don't, I, I'm, I'm getting very stressed. I can't get this money out to you. The next day, we had it all figured out. I found the right agent, um, was just about to walk out the door when the bank called. And it was that friend that I have at the bank. And she said to me, Debbie, I hope you haven't written that money order yet. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm just about to go send the money transfer now. And she said, the, the check came back as fictitious. So the check was a total bogus scam. Now, at right currently, right up to today, Gregory has come back to me and said, oh, I'm taking legal action against my client. I need you to send me the bank's phone number. I need to get this straightened out. I can't believe I'm not getting my money now, blah, blah, blah. Not upset with me, supposedly upset with the client. 
So I've got a couple different options here. First of all, the bank wants me to press charges. Now, I have no problem pressing charges. Finding time is my issue. <laughs> but what I'm doing right now is leading him on a little bit by pretending I'm still gullible in this. The reason why is I'd like to help all of us. If we can stop one at a time, we're at least stopping them. I need you to be aware of this fellow, though. I need you to be aware that these kind of scams are out there. And you need to trust in the fact that if it's too good to be true, guess what? It is. I'm really bad that way. I'm looking for too good to be true, too. I want big paid jobs. I want to make lots of money consistently. And we're willing to take on a lot of stuff as voice talent. But we have to be careful. You have to have your morals and your values intact. And you have to run a business as a business. And if people are asking for things that are out of business and professional practice, you need to really question that source. You need to really figure out if this is proper or if they're actually ripping you off or what the case may be. So protect yourself. Start researching these people. And remember, you are in charge of your business. So take charge. That brings us to the end of the episode. If you haven't subscribed already, go to podcasts.voices.com slash VoxTalk or track us down in the Apple iTunes podcast directory by searching for VoxTalk. Thanks for listening and staying subscribed. See you next week.